Hi everyone, this is Sia D. Clayton, Head of Content here at Goodlord. The following podcast is a recording of a webinar we held two days after the Renters Reform Bill's second reading. You'll hear from Lettings Legislation Expert and Managing Director of Insurance at Goodlord, Ollie Sherlock, and he'll be joined by Ryan Heaven, Solicitor at Dutton Gregory. So without further ado, on with the podcast. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to this week's instalment of the Renters Reform Bill webinar series, um, the long-lasting Renters Reform Bill webinar series. Who knew uh, things could last this long? But indeed, the bill process is. Uh, it's a pleasure to uh, to be joined today by Ryan Heaven, um, a solicitor at Dutton Gregory. Um, you, you may remember Ryan. He's joined us a couple of times before to discuss this very subject. Uh, good morning, Ryan. How are you? Morning, Ollie. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm very good. Thank you so much for joining us this morning in this half an hour um, special, I suppose, um, on the back of the second reading of the uh, the Renters Reform Bill, uh, which, of course, happened on Monday. Um, it's been a busy sort of uh, 48 hours since, I suppose. You were at the NRLA conference, I think, yesterday, uh, seeing the, the the one and only Michael Gove uh, speaking, right? Yeah, indeed. So we, uh, a fair few people in this in this uh, webinar may well have watched the the parliamentary proceedings live on Monday. I know I did. Uh, stayed up all night with my popcorn, <laughs> and uh, we got a little bit extra information from Michael Gove. But it was also quite helpful to obviously get feel like what the word on the street was. What did the landlords and members of the NRLA think about um, what had happened the previous day? And they got they got a chance to give uh, Michael a, a bit of a grilling. Um, and, 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 and indeed, this, this process is moving forwards. Um, uh, finally, there was a bit of a, a bit of a lull at one stage, which we're going to cover. But, um, you know, either way, there is a level of progress being happened. And that's exactly what we're here to talk about today. Um, we've also got Stephanie and Danielle, um, helping support on the slides. Um, if we have any technical problems, as always, we'll try and rejoin as quickly as possible. So please do bear with us. Um, the Q&A is open. So please feel free to ask Ryan and I uh, any questions around the renters reform bill um, or the potential changes. And we'll try our best to answer them. Um, if we can go to the next slide, please, guys. Um, so in terms of uh, this webinar, this is focused on the on the renters reform bill, of course. Um, for those of you who don't know about Goodwill, though, a quick 10 seconds, we are a pre-tenancy business um, that has produced a, a, a piece of a prop tech software that helps make you more efficient and expedite that pre-tenancy process to ensure you can focus on the things that really matter, giving excellent customer service and generating revenue and supplying growth for both your business and indeed your customers. If you want to understand more about our platform in terms of how it can help you uh, combine landlord terms of business, contract generation, deposit registration, rent collection, and indeed other products like rent protection insurance, then please do visit our website at www.goodlord.co where you can book a demonstration. These sessions aren't about good Lord. They're about understanding sort of change in the market. So if we go to the next slide, please, um, let's look at what we're going to cover today. Um, we're going to cover with Ryan the first thoughts on the second reading, uh, understanding um, exactly um, what the initial sort of summary is. Um, we're then going to drill down and focus on Section 21, a subject that's been close to all of our hearts for many months now. Uh, we're going to understand exactly what's happening with, with Section 21 following the government's announcement in the last few days. And then we're going to touch on briefly how agents can start preparing, obviously, given the limited progress. There's, there's not much to cover, but we're going to try and sort of give you a few pointers. And as I say, the Q&A is open from the very start. Um, and we've already got a few a few questions in. Um, so we'll come, come to those shortly. We're going to start the first slide if we can. Um, and then I'll come to those first two. But again, please do get your questions into the, in, into the chat if you want anything answering. Um, so, Ryan, um, give me your sort of 101 on this. What's your first thought in terms of the uh, your, your summary of, of what, you, what you've seen in the last sort of 48 hours? 
Well, I didn't think it would take this long to get this far, to be honest. Um, the, the the bill enjoys cross-party support, and uh, something we're probably going to say more than once during this this webinar is that this bill is going to pass in some form or another, because both the government and Labour support it. Um, the real question is what it's going to look like. The, the reason why it took so far, I think there's been some speculation about it, but it seems as though the Conservatives have been trying to wrangle some backbenchers who may be opposed to this bill back on side and there have been some concessions which which we're well we're going to be talking about uh, i think in the very next slide there is some extra meat on the bone but it's important to stress that we don't really have anything written down uh it, it, it might help if i just provide a bit of a legislative breakdown to say we are here and what on what we can possibly mm. expect next i'll do it as quickly as i can with one eye on the clock um Essentially, what what the what's happened in the in the five months since we got the first bill is the government's simply been or and the opposition and the backbenchers and the uh, select committee, which is a group of eleven MPs who scrutinise um, the levelling up departments legislation they've all been working on uh, on what they think could be done differently with the bill. Um, and we're going to see that fleshed out in the next stages. So we've had the uh, government's response to that, you know, the, the, the select committee's questions about it. And that's what's generated things like the Section 21 being delayed, um, some new information about antisocial behaviour, a little bit more information about student lets, which we didn't have previously. But what happens next is amendments come in from the government from the opposition, from backbenchers, from the select committee. And that's where this bill is going to get added to. So the next stage, the third reading is going to be what amendments are going to be made. Um, I did hear a rumour at the NRLA conference that this is going to be pushed through the House of Commons. So the third reading should take place before Christmas. Um, I, I can't reveal my sources uh, and, and take all that with a pinch of salt, bearing in mind how long it took to get here. But if we get the third reading, we should at least know what the final ish version is going to look like because mm. after that it goes to the house of lords and the house of lords should just pass it because it's a manifesto commitment the convention's house of lords respects that the, the government should just be able to pass its flagship policies but there are landlords in the house of lords there could be a rebellion we don't know yet so uh yeah we, we should hopefully at least get something in writing before christmas and that will allow us to maybe provide a bit more information maybe a, a fourth episode who knows and you know, to, to to the sort of lull point and 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 the and, and the supposed challenge from from, from backbenchers. Um, would it be ridiculous to suggest that, given that this has cross party support, was part of the manifesto, that actually the challenge have been has been relatively small, given that there's already been a commitment um, uh, to push this through, and actually the reason why we've seen um, a uh, a lack of activity and progress on this over the last frankly four odd years. Um, it's because it's not a priority for the government. It's something that they have struggled to actually get their heads around in terms of how to really uh, meet the demands of a quite complicated sector, which maybe they didn't appreciate to begin with. Um, and one could argue that actually this has come down the pecking list on, uh, on on priorities when you look at things like COVID, for example, um, other initiatives that the government clearly feel more strongly about um, and seem to find good taglines for. Um, this has not been one of them. And actually, this has been a lower priority and now we're seeing the results of the lack of prioritisation ahead of a general election in trying to tick the manifesto box. Could one argue that, Ryan? I mean, it, it yeah. feels to me like there's there's substance in that. 
I, yeah, not only could you argue it, I, I completely agree with you. Um, it, it feels like a checklist exercise where they say we, we we said we were going to pass this legislation before the end of our government. Um, we've done that. And even if that means delaying more or less every single part of that legislation for a future government to decide whether or not they want to keep it. So, yeah, like you say, this is going to get passed. It's probably going to get passed um before the next election and i think the, the main reason for deferring everything is to enable it to be passed so that they can say that they passed it even if mm. everything follows on later yeah um i think yeah i think there's, there's a lot of truth in that and uh i i would heed caution to playing with something that has a huge effect on people's lives and an industry that is um actually i think very proactive in supporting people in homes um especially when you look at the letting agent mm. um uh, sort of centric part of the industry and uh, this level of uh, inactivity and then rushed progress um i i would argue is not helpful for anybody uh, and isn't actually serving the very people we're trying to help which of course is tenants you know th- this mm. bill is focused on supporting and giving a better framework for tenants and you know ultimately um it, it's hard to see how we're doing that um uh, at the moment and and that as well um is a good segue on to student tenancies of course um there's a large student demographic mm. across the uk um uh, we proudly have fantastic universities up and down the country um and in the white paper the um uh, the the action around um purpose built student accommodation um was noted now uh, we talked earlier and, and you said it, it wasn't actually pointed out in the first draft of the bill um, so we have had more information mm. on this, but it's essentially doubling down, isn't it, on a white paper um, um, uh, note that was in, it was included initially. Yeah, so the, the, the idea is that with the government doing away fixed term tenancies, um, student lets, student landlords rely quite heavily on knowing that the tenants that they've got are going to leave in June, July, so that the property could be empty, ready to be occupied again in, in September. Um, and that there was some talk about it being in in this legislation but it didn't make it into the first part of the bill uh the word student appears just once and it's not in the context of 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 this but the the idea that's been put forward is that purpose-built student accommodation providers so large developers will be able to create fixed-term contracts and the obvious question there is well what about everybody else? And this was certainly discussed at the uh, NRLA conference, where, as you can imagine, not a great deal of developers there. You've got a great deal of landlords who are letting out their homes to students, though. Um, and the concession there seems to be that there will be a new Section 8 ground introduced that would allow landlords of students to uh to to give some kind of notice maybe to coincide with the the end of term there's no detail at all on that so uh really i i can't advise anything else about it other than in principle it seems like there's going to be some concession to uh student landlords who are not these major developers mm. okay um I, it feels like the, the challenge that was raised from the very start since the white paper hasn't been listened to on this um and um it is potentially dangerous right for for a number of landlords uh, thousands of landlords actually um in terms of wanting certainty uh, and i appreciate there there is a level mm-hmm. of certainty on the fact that we know exactly what they're going to do uh, from a purpose built perspective um you know i think there's probably still hope there's going to be some level of of detail that emerges that helps um, non purposeful student accommodation although at the moment it doesn't look likely from from any noise that's coming out of the uh, the government. I know. I know. Uh, uh, probably within the last year, the NRLA felt that they'd won that challenge. That actually, there was going to be a reversal mm. of the uh, of, of 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 those terms. But um, yeah, it doesn't doesn't look like it will be. Um, we've got a, quite a few questions in, so let me cover these. I've got a question from somebody who didn't leave their name, but good morning to you nonetheless. Um, 
Uh, they ask her, if you lease your property to an independent third party, will you have to uh, will you have to register at registered as this bill makes a requirement? I do not issue tenancy agreements. It's all down to the third party, nor do I have any housing management functions under my control. I would welcome any views. Mm-hmm. Blimey, that's a really good question. Um, to to answer that, and I'm quite happy to keep one eye on the uh, on the legislation. So, so if I were to look at the bill, I could probably find the answer to this before the end of this webinar. But off the top of my head, um, it's a, it's a good question. I think you you'd still be. My instinct is you're still a landlord, even if you've got no responsibility for it, you because you are the landlord of that company. Um, so let me let me come back to you on that one. Great question. I've not been asked it yet. I really wish you'd left your name because I could then say that so and so stumped Ryan Heaven on the <laughs> webinar, which has as yet to happen. Uh, well done, whoever you are. Um, uh, good morning, Sean. Sean asks, I know fixed terms are being removed, but can there be a minimum term? Um, no, um, uh, actually, let, let me think about it. Let me think about it. I think, so, again, I think these are, these are questions I have not been asked yet. And I, I and I like them a lot. Um, I'm going to come back to you on both of them. I'm sorry not to be able to answer them straight away, but maybe that's because it was a really good question. Yeah. Let, let's, let's, let's try and come back to that. It, sure, it, I mean, it flies in the face of, of the point of the change, I suppose, on the basis that you have a monthly, essentially, rolling contract under the assured terms. Um, but yeah. if both parties were in agreement, yeah, I mean, I'm going to leave that one with you. With, with you <laughs> it says, I mean, so I, I can answer. I can answer that fixed term one maybe a bit a bit quicker because the the, the idea of a legislation is that it, it does away with terms. It's simply so the, the amended legislation. Well, sorry, the bill. Subject to change, of course, says terms of an assured shorthold tenancy are, are to be of no effect yeah. um, insofar as they provide for the tenancy to be a fixed term tenancy. So would a minimum term create a fixed term? I don't think any of these t- any of these, def- of these things. So, for example, a fixed term tenancy isn't fleshed out in the legislation. Mm. Um, good. You're picking holes in it. I like it a lot. I don't think the I don't think the bill provides the answer to that question. Um and indeed, that is the hope, isn't it? Between so, now and the bill is introduced, we have that level of clarity because there's quite a few areas actually that mm. you could pick holes in, and we've, we've covered them on the, on the previous two sessions that we've done at length in terms of trying to understand exactly where where we can have clarity. But um, yeah, I mean, a, a, any more confirmation on that through this session now would be great. Um, Sean, uh, we'll pass uh, pass your details on to Ryan as well, uh, and please do feel free to chat to back answer the Lord if with any further questions. Um, Mm, let's let's like focus um if if we can on section 21 um we've we've had many a webinar where we've tried to not talk about section 21 at all because it's all we talked about for some time um so it's ironic in some ways that this the, this section has, has reared its head again and is now the focal point of this bill um it was always going to be i mm. suppose um right talk us through what have the government said around section 21 because there's been a bit of a change right yeah, so so the idea is that the 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 government are going to delay uh, the implementation of the ban on Section Twenty One until such a time as the courts are up to speed. Um, Michael Gove said that ninety five percent of courts are meeting a, um, a a certain standard, and I think that certain standard is is uh, that the courts has to have a hearing of a claim within eight weeks of the claim being issued. 
However, there's absolutely no time frame for what happens after that hearing. And, and anyone who's gone through the court process will know that, that first hearing is a five minute hearing. And if there's any kind of defence at all, then it will get adjourned. Um, so 95% of courts are already meeting that test. So the, they must feel that they maybe need to get to 100% of, of, of that before they can... Um, before they can feel like the courts are up to speed or maybe there's some other nebulous threshold but the, the whole the, the problem here is it's so vague um as to effectively indefinitely kick this into touch i think because there, there doesn't seem to be at least not yet any kind of um i mean arbitrary marker which just says this is the point at which we consider courts to be up to speed when's it going to happen it's it's uh it's just a classic how long is a, spe- is a piece of string so it i mean to answer the question on screen is this a delay or a u-turn i think it's essentially a u-turn because they have kicked it so far into touch that this is the next government's problem and they can decide whether or not they want to go through with the section 21 ban or not that they're, they're they're um yeah that that's they're washing their hands of it i think yeah, I, I think this is an interesting point. You, you and I sort of um, disagree slightly on this. I, I think clearly it's it's a uh, it's a delay tactic. Um, I, I I actually think it's exactly what's required. I think the legal process when it comes to housing is is fundamentally broken. It's archaic. Mm. Um, it's slow. Um, it is complex uh, beyond the point of needing to be. Um, and I think this is exactly the right call if you're going to introduce the measures that have been deemed. Um, under the bill to be needed now without that investment mm-hmm. without that change it is impossible the courts will will just it's impossible for courts to manage these processes at the volume they will have because of course the device to to complete an action now sits within the legal process not outside of it if this bill comes in in force and section 21 is abolished so um i i don't um i don't you know i don't fundamentally disagree with your point um however i i i hope um and goodness me i'm talking about politics and hope uh, i hope that no matter which party are in power that if they're going to deliver this they're going to deliver it with a court system that is digitalized that is um efficient mm. um that that focuses on the quickest point of outcome because if they don't they will drown and they will create a cumbersome and horrible process not only for landlords because the focus is it, it, it should be on them at that stage if there's a breach of agreement you've breached a contract but also for tenants delays in the legal process and this is what's fundamentally missed sometimes by mm. by, by by the parties here delay delays in the legal process create more excessive debt especially in cases of arrears for tenants just sit in the property wait there now if the legal process was working as it should that would be felt and it would be swift and it would be efficient for all parties so this affects both so i mm-hmm. I, I think yeah uh, i'm not going to go as far to say it's a u-turn um i appreciate it could definitely look like that but i actually hope that this is that, that this happens because it, it's a long time coming you know even through covid we were told there's going to be nightingale courts and we're going to expedite process mm. it didn't happen it didn't happen and we're still feeling it, it, the it just seems it. it seems daft to me that the, the banning of section 21 was almost the whole point of this because no no tenant is going to start voting conservative because there's suddenly a landlord ombudsman this isn't the yeah. The only game changer for tenants in this was was the banning of Section 21. Um, I mean, w- when it comes to the changes for court process, I'm totally with you that the court is not fit for purpose. Um, and 
the, the, the main discussion seems to be whether or not there's reinvestment in the current court system um, or if there's an entirely separate housing court set up to to deal with these things. Either way, money is going to have to be produced. And again, that's a tr- that's a decision for the Treasury to make, not really for Michael Gove. Though I do think it's slightly ironic that Michael Gove, when he was Minister of Justice, was the one cutting funding to all these courts. I, I, I think he's at least as much as anyone else responsible for the current situation of the courts um, systems it just seems a little bit cheeky that he's suddenly asking for more money to it when he's not actually in a position to uh to 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 control the court budget yeah i i i would agree and you know the that 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 um one would call it hypocrisy almost uh through that process is isn't lost to me at all and um you wonder you know why these things are being pushed and especially ahead of what we, you know we recognize is a is probably uh, an extremely important general election for the conservatives given their their current standing and, and form um, and I think, you know, when we talk about changes, it's important for us to understand the detail. And that's exactly what's lacking here, in my view. The the governments have come out and said, you know, we can't do this. Stop. Everyone pause. We need to invest in the courts. And most of us go, yeah, we've been saying that for some time. And and what? And there's no answer there. There's no there's no real clear steer of exactly what this means. I mean, no. taking the courts into a digital age is is, is a relatively broad statement. Um, Beverly uh, on, on the Q&A. Good morning, Beverly. I hope you all asks, how do you think digitization of Section 8 eviction will work? It's a bloody good question, Beverly. Um, I mean, to begin mm. with, it'd be nice to think that actually the process could be digitalized, um, let alone become more efficient through serving and, and different practices in the courts and receiving those in a digital nature. I mean, a lot of what we what we do from a legal process is still paper-based. It's still manual. Somebody has to look at it. You know, there's no computer reading there. There's no AI involved. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think, you know, there's a long way this could go. Um, but in course, to go a long way, it needs big investments. And I think Ryan is right to point out that, you know, is that going to happen in the next nine months? No, it's probably not. In fact, it's definitely not. Is this a long-term plan? Well, that's hard to say when we have a potential change of government coming down the line. But, you know, to the point of changes, mm. we don't really know, I think, Ryan, of what the government's actually suggesting here, because they've kind of made the broad statement, but given us little detail of what they're actually going to do, going back to your kind of 95% threshold point. Mm. Yeah, no, again, I don't, I don't know if there's too much to, more to discuss. I, I think it's just... I think they've. I think they've washed their hands of this whole thing. And, and so going back to section twenty-one, Bella. Um, good morning, Bella. I hope you well. Asks. Um, so, do you feel there's a chance this could be passed through into law without the banning of section twenty-one being included in it, Ryan? Uh, yeah, I, I, I think so. So, I mentioned earlier about amendments coming from different sources, and this is the government. Michael Gove said that they wanted to do this. So the idea is, is that the government have a majority in parliament. So in theory, they should be able to pass any amendment that they want to make to it. So if the government want to defer the introduction of Section 21 notices, they have the power to do that. Um, so, yes, it's entirely possible. The final version of this bill will include an amendment which says we're going to more or less defer it for an indefinite period of time. And that, that there's other parts of this legislation as drafted, um, which were not fully fleshed out in the first bill. And, uh, and I don't expect them to be fully fleshed out in, in the second bill either. Um, you've got bits about the landlord database and you've got bits about redress scheme. And in the bill, it says we're going to flesh those out in future regulations. I, I think there might be something similar for the Section 21 ban. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree. Um, and really, it means that we all have to really keep on our toes and keep watching and listening in terms of the progress and and the devil with all of these things is in the detail. And, um, you know, again, I, I, sorry, go on, man. 
Oh no, it's fine. It, 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 it's more just um, to, to say that I can answer that question from the Q and A earlier today. I've had one eye on the, on the legislation. I had to do some. Pro- I had to do some proper reading. If you so, it comes down to the meaning of a residential landlord in the bill. And a residential landlord uh, is a landlord of a relevant tenancy. And a definition of a relevant tenancy is a tenancy which uh, is either an assured tenancy or a rent act tenancy. So, if you are letting to a third party company uh, a rent to rent company essentially uh, you wouldn't need to go and register for the uh, or, you, know, you wouldn't need to be on the landlord register for that for that purpose so that's a nice little loophole potentially spotted okay. well done whoever spotted that anonymous yes. you did great yes indeed well well done to, to that person um so so looking at the, the, these kind of um uh, changes um or this delay at best you turn at worst um you were as I said, I want to reflect on on your time at the the NRLA conference because it's a good opportunity for you to be on the floor uh, with thousands of landlords and you get a feeling for the room. Yeah. What what was your read on the feeling when it comes to this point? What what, what do you think this means to landlords at the moment? Mm. It it doesn't change. It doesn't change too much because again, the, the 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 idea is that landlords who were spooked by this have probably already exited the market to be honest and and every other landlord was just saying well i don't really have complete information to make a decision a, a lot of the speakers were saying don't panic because at the moment we don't really know anything we don't know what the law is going to look like we don't know when it's going to kick in you may yet have one two three four many more years of of um mm. of, of happy landlording before uh you you feel the need to exit the market so um that's the general idea. So landlords didn't know, really know they were deferring their decision until they knew more. Yeah, and I think that, that level of uncertainty um, drags on. Um, hopefully, um, to that point, now we can support and educate landlords that you know, there isn't need for sudden change. And that message of keep calm, carry on letting, I think, is, is still a really relevant one. Um, because, you know, ultimately, um, when you look at the, the market forces in play at the moment, you know, the demand is there. Landlords are desperately needed. Um, I, you know, I, I absolutely buy though that landlords are also looking for a level of support from the government. Um, and in the in the process of this bill coming into law, um, and all of these things like Section Twenty One being introduced, we may well see a change in government too. Um, and you know, mm-hmm. it's going to be interesting to see how different governments um look at landlords and whether they value and support them or, or whether they're they're choosing not to. Um, or indeed keep the status quo as it is. It's you know, there's essentially there's going to be a lot of change yeah. for a number of reasons, right? Yeah, I mean, what, what, one thing I want to reflect on from the NRNA conference was that when Michael gave gave his um, gave his speech, which was um, via Zoom, by the way, he 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 wasn't on stage in the room with a with a, a thousand angry landlords. Um, any question that gave him a hard time got quite a resounding cheer from the entire audience. Now that might have happened under any circumstance, but it suggested to me that this concession to landlords um, may not have entirely won them back. Um, yeah, I, I, I thought it was quite telling that that, that they were they were <laughs> the loudest claps of the day were were the ones where he was really pushed about his decisions and, and, pe- and the idea of penalising good landlords um, uh, when the aim was obviously to to try and clamp down on on bad landlords. I, I you know, I, I think that's absolutely fair. And you know, ultimately, when you're when you're looking to make this level of substantive change in a market uh, an industry that essentially supports where people live, which it does then it should be taken seriously. It should be thought through. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, we're talking solely about landlords here. The the continued um, um, omission of letting agents and their meaningfulness in part of this process bewilders me. I, I, I don't understand it. And one can argue, yes, I've got a commercial interest in agents, letting agents. Sure. 
uh, I've been a letting agent myself. I believe in the process and the, and and the um, mm. and the role letting agencies play. Um, and the simple fact is that for over half of the market, letting agents will be having to educate landlords on these very points because they're not at the Nuralo conference. They they they're hands off. They employ them to do that. And you know, I just think that that has been extremely lacking. And I hope I hope that the government sort of um, starts to work more and more closely with letting agency bodies um, to help support and understand their role and understand how they can support because. You know, agents play a huge part in this. And in, and indeed, looking to agencies, if we go on to the next slide, um, it, it's probably important to touch on just before we finish, um, what's next, but also how, how agents can start preparing. So, so very quickly, Ryan, just talk us through what the next steps on the bill are, mm. uh, just for, for everyone to understand. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're going to be getting amendments proposed by the government opposition, the select committee, backbenchers, and then the uh, the third reading is going to be a chance for the for Parliament to vote on those amendments, and then the amendments will get incorporated into the legislation. That's when we'll probably be there in terms of the final text of it. Uh, then it goes to the House of Lords. House of Lords should rubber stamp it, but you can't count out a rebellion on something like this. Um, and then it will be passed. Now, and again, we have. The legislation passing, getting royal assent, is not the same as it coming into force. We've got mm. already within the bill, there is a different date for implementation of certain things. There's a phased introduction from ASTs that exist already into assured tenancies. Uh, there's the idea that Section 21 notices would be valid for a certain period of time after implementation date. And then you also have now essentially a third implementation date, which is when are the courts going to be up to speed? Um so, I mean, that's that's how it looks. In terms of what agents could do to prepare, I, I said it in May and I'll say it now. I think you probably need to be reassuring your landlords that it's not the end of the world. Um, mm. A speaker at the NRA conference said that, and I agree, is that Scotland did away with their equivalent of Section 21 and they still have a, a PRS. I think, it's, I think it's a fair point that, yes, landlords will have less control over that property, but there's no reason why they couldn't consider, uh, continue to, um, to, to be landlords for many years in the future. And I think so. Yeah, I think it's a PR exercise. Yeah, there's definitely an element of that, but it's an PR exercise that ultimately affects how letting agents process their business on a daily or weekly, monthly basis. Mm. And I think understanding exactly what the effect on your renewal revenue, for example, is as letting agents, uh, with the removal of ASDs and introduction of assured tenancies, building out um, good long-term strategic. Um, levels of service for customers that are, are maybe future proof or what we think we know at the moment will all be proactive things. You will never regret having more substance and more provision to customers in your business mm-hmm. if you can manage them well. Um, you will regret not making changes quick enough and being caught, um, you know, in, in the wave that comes when the change maybe happens more quickly than we think. And indeed, to Ryan's point, that could be for some of the changes as early as, as spring next year. Um, so I think, you know, ultimately keeping educated, keeping your landlords educated and providing great customer service. You know, landlords will struggle to want to leave a sector where their rent is being paid, where they're providing, uh, where they're getting a great level of service from their customers and they've got good tenants in their properties. And I think agents can play a role in all of that, whether it's through taking rent protection to supplying, you know, good tenants, or, you know, really robust tenants, especially given demand at the moment. There's a role that we can play here mm. to try and keep as many landlords in the sector as possible. So um yeah it's, it's hard though right right it's hard with you know, with so little clarity on so many points it's difficult and and some of the questions really throw up and show where where there's lack of clarity i want to cover a few of these before we finish um vanessa asks good morning vanessa um under the removal of the fixed term would a tenant paying say six months in advance create a unwritten fixed term now payments in advance is okay. something we've touched on these sessions before isn't it mm. 
yeah uh you you can't take those kind of payments in advance anymore um the, the most payment you could take would be one month so um there isn't really a workaround for that aside from guarantors i think i've said it before is it is is that guarantors uh going to be utilized more often because you usually take those six months payments where someone's failed referencing um here you either let to them or you don't. And if you do let to them without a guarantor, you just have to take one month as you, as you normally would. So, um, yeah, unfortunately that, that doesn't create an, a, another fixed term of sorts. Mm. And, um, again, somebody who hasn't left their name, but good morning to you nonetheless. Um, within the draft, they have said about greater terms for antisocial behavior. Uh, indeed they have. Um, have they given any information with what evidence you would need? Would you just give a crime number? That's an excellent question from whoever left that. So no, this this is this is a good point um, because in the bill I thought the wording that they used was rubbish. Um, it was it was a very because small it, semantic because change. it was <laughs> it, it, it was it, yeah. I, I, I think it was just the change like the changes the behaviour that is causing and is uh, yeah. is causing nuisance rather than uh, behaviour this is likely to cause antisocial behaviour. My whole point here was is that. The ground is a discretionary ground. And so that semantic change doesn't really change the fact that on the day of the hearing, you're going to have to convince a judge that the antisocial behaviour is so serious that they would have to make an order for possession. So I don't think behaviour that fits the category of is capable of causing is going to be the same as behaviour which is actually causing. And it's behaviour that is actually causing antisocial behaviour that is that would, is what would tip it over the edge. Now, this is relevant because one of the things Michael Gove said is that they it sounds like they're going to make ground 14, which is the nuisance antisocial behaviour ground, into a mandatory ground. Now, that makes it uh, much easier to prove. The idea being is that a discretionary ground, even if you prove that they are yeah, the the tenants are doing behaviour which is capable of, of of being a nuisance. If you prove that they are doing that, then the court has no discretion at all. So, in terms of the threshold of evidence, yeah, a police report would be fantastic. Um, statements from neighbours would be fantastic. The more evidence you've got, the longer the, the the issue has occurred for, the more people you've got complaining about it, uh, the, the higher the chances of, of of reaching that threshold are. But now, if it's a mandatory ground, it actually seems quite a low bar. Uh, which is really helpful for landlords. So changing it from discretionary to mandatory is absolutely a really big win for landlords. Discretionary grounds are uh, not very helpful. Mm. And and indeed, the that that change, um, you know, will we, we, need to be understood right by letting agent landlords like to understand exactly what the thresholds are there, albeit mandatory. You know, I think having some clarity to that to that question is really helpful. Um, to make sure that absolutely mm. the process is followed and, 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 and indeed, you know, tenants aren't discriminated against, et cetera. So whilst helpful, it's there for a reason. And, you know, um, it's, it's cautious to point out mm. <laughs> that those, those guidelines will have to be met. Um, there is a risk with that, isn't it? That it becomes almost a section 21 light because one could argue that anybody is capable of anything. Um, and indeed there's always something that tenants mm. maybe, you know, you know, would do that could be deemed as antisocial music too loud or slamming a door or whatever. There's going to have to be a, a certain level of threshold that people are working towards there. Um, yeah, I think, I and, think that's been acknowledged by, by, by the government in that a, a lot of the, the feedback was that landlords are serving section 21 notices, even if they could have served a section eight, because why serve notice on as a discretionary ground where you've got no, real certainty when you could just serve a section 21 this seems mm. to be filling that niche of you would serve a section 21 
currently on these antisocial tenants now or sorry in the future you're likely to have far stronger grounds you can just go directly for for that section eight process which is quicker because it it, it skips the two-month notice period entirely sure yeah no definitely um a few more questions and then we are going to finish we are overrunning already so apologies but um the questions keep coming in um uh Stephen, um good morning Stephen asks what about payment in advance for overseas students we currently charge the whole term I think your answer is the same as the one you previously got, uh, gave, right, Ryan? Um, it's it's not going to be something that yep. is permissible um, under the under the new legislation. Yeah, it's it's something that needs to be fleshed out. Um, and I completely with you. you. You have these scenarios where taking that kind of level of payment up front is justifiable. And I think I mentioned before that it's a potential loophole. In that if you if you think of it in in the sense of if you have someone, a tenant who's going to pay rent monthly and they just happen to pay their rent, you know, they just happen to give you a lump sum. They're not paying six months rent up front. They're paying, they're in, they're in credit, aren't they? Um, there's nothing to stop a tenant from paying early if they want to. So it seemed to me as a potential workaround from the letter of the law, if not the spirit of the law, was that you just set this up as a 12-month tenancy, but you ask them to pay it all up front. Um uh, sorry, and again, sorry, you, you obviously can't set it up as a 12-month tenancy, but you right, basically are sure. saying that you have to, you know, the payments are due monthly, but we're going to ask you to pay it all up front and just see uh, see, see if that makes it to the final legislation, yeah, to be honest it, with you. Uh, it, a loophole in the bill doesn't mean it's going to be a loophole in the legislation. Uh, or indeed, yeah, and indeed then a loophole at court, which again, if if if, if, if then taken, yeah. um, there'll be case precedents there. So um two very quick quick last ones um ashley good morning ashley um from a lettings negotiate standpoint um how would you persuade a landlord to use their local agent instead of managing the property themselves some landlords would be trying to cut cost um ashley i absolutely sympathize that winning landlords at the moment is probably the hardest thing to do um <laughs> in a long long time um i think the reality is though that there's more risk in the landlord's world than ever before and if you listen to the arguments that say there's an excellence exodus of landlords they point towards this risk and i would argue that there isn't an exodus just yet indeed there are landlords leaving um and i would suggest that letting agencies protect from that risk for me the the idea of a letting agent is to bring and deliver peace of mind um, and i would argue that letting agents for a lot of landlords who don't make this their business day to day have never been support important and never played such a crucial role so I, I would suggest from an education perspective, um, you know, not verging on scaremongering, really looking to communicate with the landlord on, on a basis of what you're going to do uh, to deliver that peace of mind and ensure mm. that their return investment um, is as good as guaranteed through the entirety of these changes and there and after. Because hopefully having that level of confidence and, and most, if not all investments are based on confidence, um, having that confidence means that they will not only find you invaluable, but they'll also continue to be a landlord. And I think, again, to that point, letting agents play such a crucial role in keeping people in this sector. Um, this sector will look very different if we're not careful, um, and that will absolutely hurt tenants, in my opinion. Tenants need places to live, and because of the inactivity of numerous governments, we don't have enough homes in this country. That's an entire different webinar, which I'm not going to go that rubber hole. Um, but that would be my advice, Ashley. Um, one for you here uh, to finish us off, Ryan, from Lindsay. Good morning, Lindsay. Private landlord, one property. This year, I have young Chinese business students who paid one year in advance. They could not meet a reference. How can one proceed in future mm -hmm. with this type of tenant? Um, again, kind of giving a bit more context to the previous point that I think Stephen asked. Um, ultimately, yeah. given what we know now, would Lindsay have to say, I'm sorry that I, I can't actually rent you the property under the new legislation? Yeah, indeed. So you you have two options, really, when it comes to, to foreign students, uh, because 
if they're foreign students, odds are if they can provide a guarantor, that guarantor will also be for, uh, foreign based. And uh, that's not very helpful for you. Um, the way to proceed would either be that you just have to take the rent on a monthly basis. Um, there's a potential for um, a, a workaround if the legislation is, is flexible enough to allow rent to be in credit for periods of time. Um, or the alternative is you simply can't rent to them. Um, mm. Again, I, I, th- I think this is going to be something to scrutinise in the final legislation because it's a common enough occurrence that it could be factored into the legislation. So again, you have you have foreign nationals that you're led to. There could be an exception, just like, for example, um, purpose-built student accommodation providers have got an exception that they can create fixed terms. You might be able to get an exception to taking you know, more rent up front, potentially. Mm. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, Alex, as Alex, you've, 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 you've missed the buzzer, but I'm going to allow it. One very, very, very quick follow-up question. Um, will existing fixed terms have to lapse onto periodic when they reach the end of their term, or will they immediately become periodics? Um, indeed, there's guidance in the um, in the bill and the paper for the retrospective action. So you'll see assured tenancies coming into place from X date, and there's retrospective action. I think is it with 12 to 18 months thereafter, Ryan? I think I'm right in saying for all other tenancies that would then go into yeah. a short tenancy process. Yeah, there was this wording of uh, application date and extended application dates. And it's basically, it's very similar to how the Tenant Fees Act was introduced and the Deregulation Act was introduced, where basically existing tenancies are allowed to continue as they are up until a certain point. And either that's usually when the fixed term ends, um, or there will be a kind of a a final backstop period. So um, yeah, uh, at, at the moment, we don't know what any of those things are. And we won't know until after the legislation is passed. Um, so yeah, at the moment we can't really do any any proper planning for that. But the the, the best way of, of of kind of circumnavigating that, if you if you think that an assured short tenancy is better than a short tenancy, and most lands probably would because it essentially means you could serve a section twenty one, um, then you would want to create maybe as long a fixed term as you possibly can before the application date kicks in. And then you have that assured short alternancy for a much longer period. But again, this is maybe a discussion for us to have next year where we know a little bit more about when these dates are likely yeah. to be. <laughs> yeah, this feels very um, very like Chelsea signing long-term contracts to get around financial fair play if we're not careful. We've got to make sure that we understand that process, I think, yeah. before we Abortize start. Abortize for tenancy over 10 years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. do not start writing long tenancies just on that basis. Um, Ryan, thank you as always for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, to everybody that's, that's been watching this morning or enjoying listening in uh, to the recording and the podcast, and thank you so much for taking the time. I hope this sort of brief webinar and update uh, on the uh, the rental reform bill has been has been helpful. Um, if you want to understand more about the rental reform bill, indeed your, your your staff do, we have a renters reform bill course that you can take. Um, it's CPD certified, um, and indeed can be found um, on our website. Um, but for now, um, that's all we have time for. Ryan, thank you. Uh, to everyone else, have a fantastic day and we'll see you soon. Thank you.